Isn't it wonderful to know that everyone can have a particular experience in the garden with the Lord? And it's always going to be unique to yourself. Because we are unique, and we're going to turn to Psalm 58. Hopefully we're going to clean it up tonight and move on to Psalm 59. We'll see what happens. And we'll be looking at, really basically, we're going to be looking at verses uh, 4 through 5, and then uh, 6 through 11. If we get there, so verse 4 says, their poison, and we're talking about the wicked, and it says their poison is like the poison of a serpent. They are like the deaf adder that stoppeth her ear, which will not hearken to the voice of charmers, charming never so wisely. Break their teeth, O God, in their mouth. Break out the great teeth of the young lions, O Lord. Let them melt away as waters which run continually when he bendeth his bow to shoot his, his arrows. Let them be as cut in pieces, as a snail which melteth. Let every one of them pass away, like the untimely birth of a woman, that they may not see the sun. Before your pots can feel the thorns, he shall take them away, as with a whirlwind, both living and uh, in his wrath. The righteous shall rejoice when he seeth the vengeance. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked, so that a man shall say, Verily, there is a reward for the righteous. Verily, he is a God that judgeth in the earth. So I'm sure, as we have been paying attention to the news lately, that a number of folks of the, I can't even pronounce it, the hyena, anyway in Hawaii, you know, these people learn to speak English over there. We didn't have these problems over here. But I'm sure that these folks are thinking that having lost everything, that life isn't fair. Now, the loss of life has been horrendous. And these disasters around the world and the losses in Ukraine are certainly in that category for many thousands upon thousands of people who have been displaced from home and from country. And it should help us to put things in perspective when we look and say life isn't fair because maybe I didn't get that promotion or I didn't get that raise. And so we see these things that, that happen around the world. And sometimes our complaints are really silly in comparison to what others have had to deal with. But more than likely, or more likely than not, there is someone or some form of wickedness in the equation in which there are innocent people who get caught up in such circumstances. I can say there was a series of, of missteps that happened there in that island. The warning wasn't sent out early enough, wasn't sent out soon enough. Uh, the, uh, it was like the, the mayor was asleep at the switch and everybody else that was in the position to do something was, was there. And people could have been warned certainly a lot earlier and a lot sooner and there were a lot of other things that went on. But usually you find when disasters happen like that is because there are a number of missteps. So we've been, uh, we've been looking at Psalm 58 and this psalm describes the character of those people who are wicked and go about making life miserable for others. Uh, they're not interested in life being miserable for them. 
They're going to make your life miserable so that you can't make their life miserable is what it comes down to. And so these people who are wicked go about making life miserable for others. From the time we are given the information that will help us to recognize these individuals and their characteristics. So that really if you're in the Bible, studying and meditating the scripture, there are some things in this life that you will, you will sense before anybody else does. Because something just doesn't sit right. And that is because you have been learning throughout all of history uh, the means and the methods of the wicked and Satan and, and all these other things that exist out that way. And so you and I can be one step ahead if we're in the Word of God. We don't have to be uh, overrun, overtaken necessarily. So anyway, uh, from this psalm, we are given the information that will help us to recognize the individuals and their characteristics. And uh, this will do uh, several things for us this morning, uh, this evening rather. Number one is to avoid them like the plague if possible. Uh, you, you can have a pretty good idea who is, who is just not really where they ought to be, uh, morally speaking or, or spiritually speaking. And so uh, if, if you can avoid them, avoid them. Uh, if God puts you in their presence to share the gospel with them, then move on. But uh, don't get caught up with them, whether it's a cult or otherwise. And number two is how to protect ourselves from them. We can learn how to, if, you know, if you're forewarned, you can be foreprepared, can't you? And so thirdly, or at the very least, uh, we can insulate ourselves from them. And we can do that very easily by, number one, our young people sometimes... Uh, they, they, they allow people who should not be in their group or they fellowship with groups they should not be fellowshipping with until eventually they become, their thinking becomes a lot like their thinking along the way there. And so we have to realize is that we need to insulate ourselves from them. Uh, biblical separation is, a, is an absolute biblical truth. Amen? Uh, learning to be separated from the things of the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. And that should be very clear to us. So first we learn that wicked people are really good at deception. And we saw that in Psalm 50, verse 1. Secondly, we learned that wicked people are deliberate in their actions. Uh, they know exactly what they're doing. They, listen, people aren't wicked by accident. They're wicked on purpose. Amen? And that's Psalm 58, verse 2. And thirdly, we learned wicked people have no conscience. And they don't. Uh, Psalm 58, verse 3. And fourthly, we learned tonight that wicked people cannot be trusted. Never trust a wicked person. Now, again, what are we talking about? We're talking about wicked uh, you need to be careful about putting your trust and your confidence in, in those who are not godly. They may be nice people by the world standards, but, you know, there's just some element about the, God, the, the, the godless people out there, those who don't believe that there is a God or they don't believe that there's a personal relationship with God. You really need to be very careful. The Bible warns us not to even get involved with them, really, not to uh, get into any contractual business, whether it's marriage or business or otherwise, to uh, sign on with uh, people who are unsaved, because unsaved people, while they have uh, their conscience is not as sharp, the conscience isn't usually seared like ours is along, along the way. But they can't be trusted, and so we need to be careful. And we read that in Psalm 58, verses 4 through 5. Now, as David delves uh, a bit deeper now that he's come to the throne. Saul has passed away and Jonathan and his couple of his brothers have passed away. And uh, So as David delves a bit deeper into the lives of the wicked who have power or are in uh, positions of power, uh, he's, he has to deal with them. He's got to deal with it because he knows that a lot of things haven't been, haven't been right the whole time that Saul was king. And so he, he likens them to a serpent with a powerful, deadly poison. Now, you're warned. Uh, I, I, like, I like Vermont. We don't really have any poisonous snakes up here that are out in the wilds. 
I can walk through the highways, I can walk through the woods and everything else, but I don't have to carry a stick, beating the bushes and stuff like that to make sure they stay away from us here. Uh, now, uh, so I mean, it, it, poisonous spiders, what we have, possibly the recluse spider or something of that nature there. Uh, this is a pretty good state to live in, when you think about it. Uh, and the snow is just the icing on the, on the cake, so to speak. <laughs> but this can take several forms, such as words. They can word things in such a way. You know, we're, what are we always warned to do when you're looking at a contract? Look at the fine print. Now, to show you how evil the, the judicial system has become in Washington, D.C., you remember, you probably heard it in the news left and right near that with the sweetheart deal they're going to give to the president's son. And they stuck it way back in whatever that form was that they gave to the judge on the case itself. And she saw it. And it was deceptive because if Hunter was not guilty of the things that he has been accused of, they would not have needed that stat or that, that paragraph in there that would have exonerated him from everything other than his, uh, his illegal possession of a handgun. And it was worded in there, and she picked up on that, and, she's, and, and the judge just nailed it down there. And they just simply, oh, no, it's an ongoing investi investigation. Now they take uh, Weiss, and they make him head of a council so that now the, the uh, Republicans can't pull him in before them to have him answer questions. Because all you have to do is say, it's under investigation. It's under investigation. So these people are so vilely corrupt and there's no other there's no other explanation for what the, what they've done and the way that they've done that there. But we have to realize that someday they're going to stand before the judge, a real judge. And as smart as they think they are, and as wise as they think they are, they're going to tremble like a little. I don't, I don't know what kind of word to use for it there, but they, 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 well, they better wear a lot of depends <laughs> when they have to stand before the big judge. That's about the only thing I can say. Uh, so anyway, but you know, words, you have to be careful about words. And pay attention to what people are saying. But also pay attention to what they're not saying. Because that's also important, is it not? And so if there's one thing that you learn when you get your law degree from watching Judge Judy, <laughs> is to pay attention to the contract. Because anything is in that little square, she goes, this is the contract. Anything else doesn't matter what's in that contract. So that's why it's important to know what's said and what's not being said. But not only is it words, uh, what about their associations? Who do they associate with? Who do they uh, fellowship with? And uh, what parties do they belong to? And so on. Or, or in their deceitful, charming personality. Because some of these guys are really very charming. And they can charm you right out of your last nickel without any problem whatsoever. And you've got to be careful. And Satan did not come to the Garden of Eden with a trident in hand and horns or, uh, or uh, any mean-spirited level, behaving like the lost. Uh, so when it comes down to this, uh, his uh, grotesque form, he came as a serpent. And uh, the serpent was a lot different than most serpents we see today. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, the best snake's a dead snake anyway, as far as I'm concerned. I don't like snakes. I don't like to handle snakes. Not afraid of them. I just, you know, as long as I've got a gun, I don't care. So, uh, but he came as a friend with personality. 
And he came with well-crafted words. And so these are people that we're looking at who cannot be reasoned with. And the time in which you think you can, it is only because they have an ulterior motive. They always have an ulterior motive that puts them first and foremost in any of the situations. So only God can change the human heart, and we must understand that. So you can argue until sometimes you're blue in the face, but there are some people who are so so vile and so wicked in their lives that uh, nothing you can say, nothing you can do is going to change who they are. It's going to take God to really grab a hold of their heart, and God knows exactly what to do, and when it needs to be done, we can pray for them. But beyond that, don't waste your breath on them. Just stay clear of them all the way around. And so only God can change the human heart. And even then, there must be fruit meat for repentance. Amen? Because anybody can say anything just to get you off the front door, stoop, or just to kind of close out the conversation. And so there needs to be a time in which there is a fruit brought forth as meat or evidence of a genuine change of heart. Now, the Apostle Paul would certainly have been one of those wicked people in the early days uh, as it concerned his treatment of the Christians. They were scared to death of this man, uh, David. Uh, sorry, Paul. <laughs> they were scared to death of this man, Paul, because Paul was a zealot. He was a zealous Jew. And he was going to do everything in his power, within his might, to eradicate this sect called Christians. And he was busy about doing just that. And we remember he, got, he met uh, Christ on the Damascus Road. Or I should say Christ met him. Or God. Christ interfered with his trip to Damascus at that particular point in time. And it was, it was such a presence that the Apostle Paul, he had a major change of heart. Oh, were the disciples really excited, weren't they? <laughs> no, they still didn't trust him. Regardless of, of, of what... Uh, uh, so I think what his name was, was Barnabas. He went to Barnabas in Damascus and he had that conversation with Barnabas because God had a conversation with him as well. So even after his conversion on the Damascus road, the disciples were somewhat reluctant to work with him. They wanted to say, okay, let's see, let's, let's see the evidence that this has been a true conversion and he's not spying from the inside to find out who's who so he can do what he's got to do there. And so in Acts chapter 9... Then we'll be looking in uh, chapter 9, verse 26, uh, the Bible says. And as Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down. Is that where I want to be? Um, I'm in the right place. That's not where I want to be. I've got that wrong somehow. Anyway, huh? It is for 926. Mm-hmm. Nope. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, it is 26. I was in chapter 10. So, and when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed, he endeavored, he tried to join himself to the disciples. But they were what? all afraid of him and believed not that he was the disciple. And so as he openly began to evidence a genuine coming to faith in Christ, they did accept him as we see in Acts chapter 9 verse 27. 
But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them, coming in and going out at Jerusalem. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him, which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Sarsis. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. That conversion of the Apostle Paul spoke volumes to the Christians that were in those areas that we had just read about. So it's why we need to be praying for those in positions of leadership, uh, those who might be uh, running these uh, vile clinics, abortion clinics. Pray for their salvation, to pray for their souls, because their conversions has a big impact. A genuine conversion in those areas. Could you imagine if all of a sudden the news media, I mean, CNN and MSNBC and all those, they would drop the Democrat Party quicker than a, than a fireball if President Biden and his wife became Bible-believing Christians. All of a sudden, Trump would look like a champion and they would look like the dirty dogs. <laughs> but that could have a tremendous impact on a lot of people if it was a genuine conversion. And that's why we need to pray for their salvation. Because their salvation, turning back and on what, what they had been, what they had planned, what they had doing, and their agenda and their ideology, and embracing the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, would have a powerful impact. And so the typical reality concerning the wicked is that they cannot be reasoned with as their allegiance is to none, to, to none other than themselves, and they cannot otherwise be trusted. So we are forewarned, and we need to be careful. If you come across someone... Ask God to give you a sense about this individual. God knows who, who they are. He knows what their heart's all about. He knows all these things that we need to know. And if he makes, and, and if he leaves you uncomfortable in their presence, then you need to just walk away and just remember them in prayer, for sure. But the next thing we know is that wicked people eventually become subject only to God, and that's where we're headed. Psalm 58, verses 6 through 11 we were to read those very quickly here. We read some of that. We'll pick it up again in verse 8. And it says, as, as, as the, well, we'll pick up with 9. I'm sorry, pick up with 9. Uh, Before your pots can feel the thorns, he shall take them away as with a whirlwind, both living and in his wrath. The righteous shall rejoice when he seeth the vengeance. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked, so that a man shall say, Verily there is a reward for the righteous. Verily he is a God that judgeth in the earth. And so they may be getting away with a lot in our daytime. In, in our day and age, they may be getting away, as far as they're convinced, they're getting away with all kinds of, all kinds of murder, uh, figuratively speaking. And literally speaking, I guess, as well. But for the most part, the idea is that there is going to be a payday someday. Payday for all of us. There's a payday for the righteous. There's a payday for the unrighteous. There's a payday for those who are, who are righteous and those who are wicked. And so here is the rub or the point of frustration uh, when we look and see. It seems as though they're getting away. Now, I, I know that if you're following the news... And you're looking at what's going on there in Washington, D.C., and all, all that's going down there. All you can say is, I think a, I think a cesspool 
uh, is too kind of uh, an adjective for the most part. It is a cesspool for sure, but it's still too kind of an adjective. So these folks become embedded, they become embedded into our churches. You know, there's a lot of, there, there's a lot of churches today who once used to be good, solid, fundamental Bible-believing churches. And there used to be some good, fundamental Bible-believing colleges that are no longer that. They're headed up by boards and by presidents and uh, staffs and teachers there who are doctrinally errant. Their ideology is different. Some of them have become more like social justice institutions such as Harvard and Yale and Princeton and all of those colleges. They're not what they once were when they were first in, when they first incepted. They were all began as preacher schools to turn out fundamental Bible-believing men of God who would go out and would preach the Word of God. And of course now, anything but that comes from out of those institutions anymore because wicked people get into higher places of power. And they determine what would and what would not fly in those institutions anymore. And so these folks become embedded into our churches. This is one of the problems with denominations. You know, uh, the, the, a lot of denominations, they used to be very fundamental. They were not biblical as far as denomination goes. There should not be a hierarchy over a Methodist uh, oversight. Uh, there shouldn't be a Baptist oversight. There shouldn't be uh, Lutheran oversight or anything of those natures. There. We should all be local uh, indigenous uh, autonomous churches and so that many times the churches go bad who are in these denominations because the higher up has gone bad it's filtered down through the colleges that they support and then they come out into the churches and next thing you know you've got a mess it's usually it's a topple down it's a toppling of from the top to the bottom along the way there and if you're uh, if you're a uh, uh, a local autonomous church, if you go bad, <laughs> you go bad. That's all there is to it. It's not going to affect any other independent Baptist church in the area unless you do something really rascally bad along the way. So anyway, we find that uh, the, the, they, get in, they work their way into denominational hierarchies and governments and our society that, uh, that God alone is the only one who can fully deal with these individuals. And these individuals, they're going to be dealt with. And, and more and more, I think our prayer should only be Lord expose them. Lord, do whatever you have to do to expose these people. Because he's the one who knows what's going on in these hidden chambers, in these hidden offices, in these back rooms where they're making all these deals and uh, planning and plotting how they're going to use the law unrighteously and unjustly along the way. And so our prayer should be simply, Lord, expose these individuals. Do what you have to do, but expose individuals, whether in pulpits, whether they're in denominational heads, whether they're in uh, what once used to be good Bible colleges, or whether they're in government positions, whatever it is, Lord, expose these individuals. And so we see David was trying his best to rid the kingdom of these types of people, and yet he knows to eliminate them all would be nearly impossible. So you get rid of one, And it seems like two or three more pop up in their place along the way. And so we come to this man, Joab, who was David's nephew, and a capable commander in and of himself for sure. And yet he knew, that is, David knew that he could not be trusted. He knew his own nephew really could not be trusted. So eventually in time, when uh, David uh, is going to take over the entire kingdom, a fellow by the name of Abner meets with David and says, you know what? I will bring the northern ten tribes 
under you, under your reign, under your authority. And so there was a deal made with David and uh, with Abner that uh, Joab didn't like. And so Joab eventually conspires to have have Absalom killed. And so Joab did kill Abner, rather, I said that's all, but Abner, when David tried to replace Joab with Abner. Second Samuel. And it's interesting to see, we'll, we'll tie this all together here in just a few minutes here. In Second Samuel, we're going to go to chapter 3. Second Samuel chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 26 through 30. If I can get this right this time. And it says they're beginning in verse 30, and he says, So Joab and Abishai, his brother, slew Abner, because he had slain their brother Azahel at uh, Gibeon in the battle. And so, actually, I go back into verse 26, I said, right? Yep, verse 26. And it says, and, and when Joab was come out from David, he sent messengers after Abner, which brought him again from the well of, of Sirah. Uh, but David knew it not. And when Abner was returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak with him quietly and smote him under the fifth rib that he died for the blood of Azahel, his brother. Uh, And afterward, when David heard it, he said, I and my kingdom are guiltless before the Lord forever from the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. Let it rest on the head of Joab and on all his father's house. And let there not fail from the house of Joab one that hath an issue, or that is a leper, or that leaneth on a staff, or that falleth on the sword, or that lacketh, uh, uh, lacketh bread. And so Joab and, and Abishai, his brother slew Abner, because he had slain uh, their brother Azahel at, uh, at uh, Gibeon. Now, Joab had built up such an influence among all the other soldiers that David found it difficult for him to do anything to Joab in David's lifetime. He had to just put up with Joab. Keep an eye out for Joab because Joab could not be trusted. Second Samuel chapter 3, we looked at verses 30. Now we'll go jump over there to Second uh, Samuel chapter 38 through 39. And it says, and, and the king said unto his servants, Know ye not that there is a prince and a great man fallen this day in Israel? And I am this day weak, though anointed king. And these men, the sons of Zariah, he too, he, uh, he be too hard for me. The Lord shall reward the door of evil according to his wickedness. And so David expresses the reality that there are some people that we can't do anything about because they are so powerful. Now, we can't do anything in a physical sense, but we can certainly get on our knees and we can pray to the Lord that the Lord will take care of the, the problems at the, wherever they may exist. So, again, we ask ourselves, what, what, is our, what, is, what is our solution? Well, God's always our solution. God is always our solution. In Psalm 58, we just read verses uh, 6 through 11. Uh, so we have been called to be, we have not been called to be terrorists or to use terrorist tactics against the wicked or against failing governments or politicians, but to pray for God to intervene and bring about just justice and revival. And so it's important for us to understand that we really do need to be praying Christians, and we need to be praying today. I believe first and foremost for the salvation of those in positions of higher authority, but also for God to uh, expose them for who they are and for what they are. 
And if we don't, then he, he's probably just going to assume we don't care. Because uh, some of us sometimes, we just like to complain anyway, no matter what it is when it comes down to it. And so, uh, is life fair? No. Not always. Now, the reason is that there will always be wicked people in the fallen world. They have no desire for anything spiritual. They have no desire for righteousness. They have no need for God. And their hearts are always controlled by Satan and his crowd. So people who only care for nothing but themselves and rather than stooping to, uh, uh, to uh, their level, behaving like the lost, we had to realize there, there will always be inequalities and injustices until Jesus comes again. Always going to be. Now, never to be named once among the people of God or the children of God. Amen. But we live in a fallen world and, and there's going to be injustices and there's going to be inequalities. So we seek to change those we have the power to do so. And we should. We should seek to change those whom we have the power to do so. But we need to pray for the rest. Now J David's justice was never served in his lifetime. He said he was weak. He didn't see that there was anything that he could do to Joab. And so David passed and Joab continued to live. David's death... And his son Solomon even the score. Because David spoke to his son Solomon about Joab. And we can pick that up in 1 Kings chapter 2. Come on, we don't mind. So in 1 Kings chapter 2, we pick it up in verses 11 through 15. And it says there, and, and the day that David reigned over Israel were 40 years. Seven years reigned he in Hebron, and 30 and three years reigned he in Jerusalem. Then sat Solomon upon the throne of David his father, and his kingdom was established greatly. And Adonijah, the son of Haggith, came to, to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. And she said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. And he said, Moreover, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And she said, Say on. And he said, Thou knowest that the kingdom of the kingdom was mine, and that all Israel shut their face and I'm still in the right place. No, I'm too early. <laughs> I tell you, I just all apologize. I looked at it too soon. In twenty nine. There we go. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you tonight. Twenty nine. And it says, And it was told King Solomon that Joab was fled unto the tabernacle of the Lord, and behold, he is by the altar. Then Solomon sent Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, saying, Go, fall upon him. He was going to trip on him. He was going to kill him. And that's what he did. And Benaiah came to the tabernacle of the Lord and said unto him, Thus saith the king, Come forth. And he said, Nay, but I will die here. And Benaiah brought the king word again, saying, Thus, Joab, uh, thus said Joab, and thus he answered me. And the king said unto him, do as he has said, and fall upon him, and bury him, that thou mayest take away the innocent blood which Joab shed from me and from the house of my father. And so God knows how to take care of things in his time, whether we see it or not. Our problem is that we want to see justice immediately, and yet God wants us to, to live a godly, uh, spiritually mature life in the midst of these things all the way through. And so for us, the weight may be Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15, which is what I was thinking of earlier, uh, which is the great white throne judgment when God will deal with the wicked and the vile. So God's always the answer. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. 
And so these guys, they think they're sitting on top of the world. The truth of the matter is they're sitting on a time bomb. And that time bomb is their confrontation when they stand before a holy and a just God. And he lays them bare. They have got their coming, some sooner than others, along the way. Because if they die, they're going to find themselves in hell, wondering what in the world just happened. Well, they get what they deserve. So turn your prayers around for two things, salvation and for their being exposed. Amen? That's what we need to do. And God will do just that. So, all right, everybody, hopefully he has a prayer card. If you don't have a prayer card,